What's going on, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to NBA Stories. Once again, I'm your host, Nick Nasby. I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Candelora. Mike, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I love to be back on the show. Took a brief hiatus last week, but I'm excited to talk about current NBA basketball, talking about everything that's going on within the National Basketball Association, and break down some key topics and give some humble opinions from your favorite Italian host in basketball. <laughs> we missed you last week, man. It was a good episode. We got there's a lot of good info or a lot of, you know, big topics that of course, we'll, we're going to dive right back into this week. Joining us is Mr. Mark D'Aquila. Happy to have you back, Mark. How's it going? I'm doing good, guys. Um, I'm happy because the last time I think I was on the NBA season had just begun. So now we have a lot more games to talk about as we are about, I want to say, like 15 games or so into the season. Uh, a lot more i would say like things aren't written in stone yet by any means but we're starting to get a better idea of what teams are and what they aren't and i think that it's going to be fun to debate several different teams today several different players i'm looking forward to it guys i always love to hear your voices when it comes to nba basketball you know you make a good point there too because like we're at this phase in the early season where it's i mean the Barring a couple teams, there's no real panic buttons necessary. I would say, like, probably Detroit should probably throw it away already. Unfortunately for them, because, I mean, I don't know if y'all have watched any Pistons games, but, like, watching Blake Griffin right now is, like, the most gut-wrenching thing that I've ever seen compared to what he used to be. Like, he hasn't he hasn't dunked yet this year, which is crazy just to think about in its own right. And, like, all he really can do is just shoot mid-rangers and threes, you know? So it's super sad to see that. So I think that, you know, the Pistons in that regard, throw the season away, try to get a good pick next year. They're, but besides that, I think everybody else is still in a position where they could potentially turn it around based on their, their, their personnel, based on what they're, they're doing and their, their offensive scheme. Before we go into anything else, if you haven't yet, anybody, if you haven't done it, I don't know who hasn't done it yet, but you know, there's a couple people I'm sure out there that purple icon, the podcast app on your phone, on your iPhones. Go in there, leave a five-star review. Tell us what you think. If you like the episode, just say something, anything. We don't care, okay? It's not for our egos or anything like that. It's just, it helps Apple to see that people are listening and paying attention and that, that our listeners are engaged. So that's why we do it. Anyway, COVID is a thing still. And we're dealing with it in the NBA season. Now, I was thinking about this as to why is it's become such a problem in the NBA. And I think, and I wrote an article this morning for from the stadium regarding this. And I think the problem, guys, is is twofold, right? Number one, and I, I talked about this last week with Fran when I had him on. Number one is that these guys are playing consistently, right? They're playing games potentially sometimes back-to-back, two games in three days, three games in four days, et cetera, what have you. That's one thing. The second thing is that because it's not a bubble, these players are being tested multiple times a day, but those who they are in contact with, their families, their, their friends, things like that that they're seeing, those people are not tested as consistently. So they don't, we don't know, you know what they've been doing, and so it essentially breaks the seal of that quarantine that we're trying to keep tight, right? So that goes away. And the second piece of this is that 
Adam Silver potentially has taken his first L as a commissioner, in my opinion. You know, I, I and I, I made this comparison on on the on the episode or on the article that I I wrote today. During and it's a historical comparison, so just bear with me for a second. During the First World War or the Second World War, rather, in the years upcoming to that, Britain was was led by a prime minister named Neville Chamberlain. And even though it was, it was the Depression, even though there was things wrong in the economy and in the world at the time, he had pretty modest to fair approval ratings the whole time. He had this policy of appeasement with with Hitler, and people didn't necessarily like it, but they just kind of let it go because there wasn't a problem. And then Hitler invaded France, and all of a sudden war broke out, and they have to declare war on, on Germany now because they invaded their ally. And at that time, Neville Chamberlain declared Winston Churchill the first admiral or the first lieutenant or whatever of the admiralty of, of, of Britain, essentially giving him the reins of the entire country during the time of war. I say this, you guys, because there is a difference between a wartime leader and a peacetime leader. For the rest of his life, Winston Churchill would tell people that the best day, the day that he wishes he could return to at any point, is September 3rd of 1939. That's the day that England declared war on Britain, or that England declared war on Germany, because that's how he thrives. David Stern thrives, or he thrived, in the wartime persona, in the, in the, in the villain persona, getting booed at the draft, that type of persona, whereas Adam Silver is a peacetime leader. And I think that this is his first taste of something real, of something problematic, And I don't know if he is capable of being a leader in this particular situation because I just don't think he's a dick, which in this particular case is kind of a bad thing. (laughs) I just think that the NBA's protocol is flawed. And it's flawed in the sense that in the NBA with contact tracing, players are missing 10 to 14 days, which ends up being three to five games a week or two weeks over that stretch of time. That's a big loss for NBA teams. And with the fact that matters that their numbers are getting slashed where they're playing seven to eight guys a night. I mean, the Sixers had to dress a guy like Mike, Mike Scott, who was injured and couldn't play at all, just be able to play the game. They need to expand the active roster and they need to allow these G League affiliates of all these teams to go into a bubble. Them going into a bubble, being ready for the call, similar to what the Buffalo Bills did with Josh Allen and Jacob Fromm, where if Allen, God forbid, had COVID during regular season, Fromm would have been able to just step in his place right away, and they wouldn't have the same situation that the Broncos did. And now you see that with the NBA, and the fact is that when they're missing all these guys, is they have only seven to six to eight guys to play. And that's just not feasible for teams. That's such a huge competitive disadvantage. And I think that these G League affiliate teams need to get put in their like bubble at their facility. And I think that professional teams should call upon them and should be able to call upon them if they're missing a lot of key contributors, like six to seven guys, be able to call them up from the G League 
and just have them fill in for games. Like as like a ten day contract, they prove themselves great. They can get a two way contract. They can get a contract with that team or elsewhere in the NBA. And if they don't play that well, then you send them back to G League and let them hone in their skills like usual. I think this is the best solution. It offers a lot of people more opportunities to work in the NBA, and it offers more teams that have a more competitive playing field when they get COVID screwed. During a time where if you literally get involved in contact tracing, you're out 10 to 14 days. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. It's it's just the case of you have an entire sort of like minor league that is just kind of untouched right now. And it's it, exactly what you're saying. Like those guys are now relatively valuable to, to what they could potentially do. No, exactly. Like, for example, like if the Sixers are able to call up like with the guys they had out for that Nuggets game a couple weeks ago when they had Tobias out, Seth Curry, uh, Joel Embiid and Simmons all due to COVID protocol. If they, or like due to the various injuries in COVID protocol, if they're able to call those guys up, it gives those minor league guys, those G League guys, a chance to play in the NBA on the biggest stage, a chance for them to show off their skills. And guess what? If you don't play that well, if they're like, damn, like this couldn't work out, then maybe another team either A, picks them up, or B, you just send back to the G League affiliate, let them get better over time. It just gives everyone more opportunities to show up. It, it equals the playing field for all teams and i think it's a very simple fix that if it's mandated properly if you give it a couple weeks to fix uh, give it a couple weeks to develop i think it's a very feasible thing to accomplish within over the next couple weeks i think it's interesting to compare this also to like the mlb because the mlb handled their shortened season with i mean they had a lot of troubles you could argue more so than the NBA early on where they had the Phillies, Marlins, and Cardinals all checked out for weeks at a time. I mean, the Cardinals didn't play for well over two weeks, almost three, and then had to play double headers the rest of their season. And I think what the MLB did that was really impressive is they sort of fluidly changed with how COVID was changing which is what the NBA is going to need to do. The state made rule changes such as the seven inning double headers where you played two games that were seven innings instead of nine, got two in in one game. That's the only reason the Cardinals were able to play all 60 of their games. So the NBA is kind of starting to do that with their increased protocol. But I don't know if you guys saw, um, Adam Silver's got dealing with other issues now too which are players in the league who are having problems with the protocol george hill came out and said that he had issues with their health and safety protocols and that he basically thought like their new rules were ridiculous in terms of not being able to travel outside the hotels together um having non-team guests on the road like he went off on the nba for all of these protocols and then his own teammate sga came out and said that he's willing to do whatever he can so that the NBA can keep playing and they can move on during this COVID season. So it's kind of like you have two players on the same team trying to follow the new protocol. One of them is completely against new protocol. The other is willing to do whatever they ask of him. So Silver is like, it's like any commissioner going through this right now, caught in a rock in a hard place. But I think you have to be, if you're a player in the NBA right now, you have to understand what you're trying to do. I know it sucks not being able to see your family and whatnot, 
But when it comes to contact tracing, if you want to be able to play all of your games, you have to just take a season where, all right, you might see your family a little bit less. Not going to see your friends from home. But you're getting paid a lot of money, and I think you have to be able to get past that. If, you, if you're willing to take the risk, then take the risk and leave your family safe and you go out and play. And you know it, what I'm you saying? Know, go back to your point, you know, with, with that aspect, George Hill going out and saying that, of course, I don't really agree with it because at the end of the day, man, you're an employee of an organization. The organization has, has rules for you in order to do your job and be compliant with the organization, you have to follow those rules. You know, it's just how it goes. I know Jackie McMullen took a lot of shit for, for her comments on Kyrie making those points about how he said, I don't think there should be a draft. I think that players should go to the teams that they want them to. And she essentially said, well, it's not how it works, man. Like you're part of an organization. These people claim you as, you know, as working for them. And it's like, well, yeah, that's exactly what the point is with George Hill too. If you want to do that, that's fine. Wave your wave your contract, right? You're under contract to be compliant with what their rules are and the regulations. Now, of course, this isn't built built into people's actual contracts themselves. However, there are always compliance regulations that go into these contracts. And if you want to avoid it, then go right ahead. I just don't, I don't see it being viable. And it's very selfish of him to say it that way, because at the end of the day, I don't think Adam Silver is very concerned with any of his players actually getting this severely and actually potentially even, you know, getting hospitalized or God forbid dying from this. I think that these are all high level athletes, even the ones like James Harden, who might be asthmatic. You know, these guys have a capacity to really get through this. If they get it, I think that his, his concern is the community at large and that he doesn't want his players to contribute to COVID being spread at the, to the community at large and being contributors to people actually getting this and actually dying. It just goes back to the whole in the real world aspect of everything that, yeah, it doesn't affect the younger population really to a greater extent as it does the older population. The great And the younger population has to take heed of their actions because if they don't, they could inadvertently cause the deaths of older people and that's what the and that's what adam silver doesn't want to happen is that inadvertently the nba players become super spreaders and spread these to everyday people that when they go out but again an, a salute the solution to this adam silver in my estimation is just going out telling these like like these teams from the Geely to quarantine in their own facility or practice facility. And if George Hill wants to go do that and sit out 10 to 14 days and have to self quarantine and isolate because of contact tracing, then that's, that's on him being that irresponsible and him losing out on his pay. And then there, guess what? You could just call off someone from the Oklahoma city affiliate and be like, Hey, now it's your time to come off the bench and fill in as the eighth man, because we're missing a couple guys tonight. And if he wants to be like that, if he wants to be selfish and say, I'm not willing to go through that, then you can either a opt out and waive your contract or B, if you want to be that irresponsible and risk like going into crowded events or risk going out of the protocols that your line of work sets, then be ready to pay the consequences and sit out to arguably 10 to 14 days. I mean, we'll see how that happens, but I think getting the G League involved, extending these active rosters in the NBA in order to have these G League players come in 
would be such a game changer. I think it would make the NBA just operate at such a more smoother pace, and it would make the competition level at an equal playing field because if two teams are getting COVID-fucked, at least they can have a way of kind of just being able to replenish your depth. And if they go up against similar teams, it's the same problems. Then it's going to be the same exact type of playing field. Nick, I think you brought up a great point in the fact that a lot of these guys are going to be fine if they get COVID. I mean, that's not the real concern with Silver. But I see people making this argument all the time. And George Hill actually was quoted saying that he didn't think it made sense to that they could play side by side for 48 minutes. But the league prohibited them from socializing with each other post-game and making them wear masks on the bench. Everyone makes that argument. You sweating on each other all game, playing defense and whatnot, passing the ball to each other, and then you got to put on a mask when you get to the sideline. But I think the missing point of that is the fact that in the grand scheme of things, the NBA is a spectacle. It's entertainment. It's a show. It's the same thing as watching a soap opera or a reality TV show or whatever the case is where you know all these people are obviously getting tested every day when they go into work. But yeah, you're putting on a mask for whatever the show is or whatever entertainment product you're putting out there as a message to the country that you guys should be doing the same thing. That's the bottom line here. Like when you have these guys on the bench putting on their masks, it's kind of saying to a young kid who might be playing rec basketball, when you get to the bench, you put on your mask. It's the same type of idea. Like I don't think... In the grand scheme of things, the NBA is doing all of these things always for the safety of their players. They're trying to take take care of their players, but is the reason that Doc Rivers has to wear a mask on the sideline when he's screaming at his players to protect all of them? No, in all likelihood, he doesn't have it on in the locker room when he's talking to them. It's an image thing with the rest of the league, with their viewers, to try and spread a message to the entire country. I think that's the missing point that... George Hill isn't understanding. NBA players are probably the most idolized of all of the athletes, at least in America, mainly because they're face guys. They're all, none of them wear helmets. There's only five on a court at the time. If you're an all-star high-level player, everybody really knows how you, what you look like also, and you kind of stand out. So because of the height restrictions of the league, not all of these guys can always be role models in what they actually do. But something like this is so minimal that it's just like, what's the difference? And the reason, the real reason why they do it is that it's anything that's extra, extra contact that is unnecessary, we're going to limit it. You know, we can't limit how you play basketball. We cannot change how you play basketball. But everything outside of that, we can absolutely limit. We can absolutely make sure that if you are, if the game's over, that you don't talk to these guys anymore. Because again, you might have been exposed during the game, but we're going to make sure that you're not exposed after the game if you haven't gotten it already. I mean, that's just kind of how they're functioning. You know, this, I was listening to, again, this doctor who was talking to Simmons on, or Bill Simmons on his podcast, or maybe it was, Zach Lowe or whatever, one of those guys. And he was talking about, you know, the, the, going back to my first point, the quarantine seal is inherently going to be broken. There is no way for us not to break this, right? If you are not in a, in a literal bubble away from everybody in your life, that seal is consistently going to be broken because you are going to see people, you are going to see family. And they are not going to be able to be held to the same kind of accountability as you. If you are being tested three times a day, that's all well and good. But you can't say that your aunt, your uncle, your mom and dad, your girlfriend, your wife, whatever, is also going to be held to that kind of regard. 
it's not gonna it's just not gonna happen and so invariably these people are going to get sick and it's just going to be what happens. The problem and the reason why this is such an issue is that in the NFL, when somebody tests positive, usually you have a full week or at least part of a week to understand and to get that person out of the game and to, to isolate that person from the rest of the field so that they don't expose other people. The problem in the NBA is that they're playing, as I, as I mentioned before, two, three games in a row or two games in a row, three games in four days, things like that. So somebody could go into a game, test negative. This is exactly what happened to Seth Curry, by the way. You go into the game, you test negative, you go out of the game, you test positive because you didn't have enough of the virus going into it to know that you had it yet. And now you do. And even though you didn't know you had it yet, you still are exposing all of these people to it. And now all of these people who are around you, when you didn't know you had it, even though you were tested and you tested negative, even though that was the case, they all now have the risk of getting it. So, And because of that, you could test negative, fly to another city, play another game, and they all now have, have are at risk. So it's like that's the difference. They're swinging all over the, all over the country playing these games, and we don't know what they have. And so where I, my, my point about Adam Silver here is, is that if you are going to be a commissioner in a time like this and you are not going to be able to force a team or force a league to play in a bubble for 72 games, which is borderline impossible, they could barely do it for a playoffs, you have to be a dick. You don't have a choice. You have to be an asshole. You have to suspend people. You have to you have to fine them. I think the fines are probably going to be the best thing about this. Look at Gruden. Gruden got fined damn near a half a million dollars for not wearing his mask on the sidelines. And you know what he did later on? He started to wear his fucking mask on the sidelines because that, after a while, starts to take a toll. I don't think I've seen a single fine get levied out except for Kyrie. Have you? Is there anything else? Did anybody else do you know you know of get fined for this? No, I don't. I don't think a no. single person besides Kyrie. It's, it's, Kyrie was blatant. It's about unbelievable it. that like only Kyrie Irving's who have faced repercussions, and he deserves it. But other players that are just taking the same route, where they're basically no call, no showing to their respective organizations, like. Again, I just think they shouldn't be paid for those games. They shouldn't receive those game checks. I mean, those guys are making millions upon millions of dollars in guaranteed money a year. They shouldn't be already pampered enough to a point where they're making money based off the fact that they're not showing up doing what they're supposed to be doing. That's exactly my point to that, too. I think if somebody is breaking protocol, goes into a game where they don't even necessarily have COVID, but they've been exposed to potentially having COVID, they waive that game fee even if they've played it. That's what I mean. That that's how I would do it, and that's what I'm saying. Like David Stern would be like rock hard for this right now. This is what he lived for. He fucking loved to do shit like this. But Adam Silver's not that kind of guy, and that's why people liked him so much. He's never had to be controversial before. Realistically, you know, you can make a case for Sterling, but everybody was on board with the Sterling shit, and everybody liked that. I what you know what he did. He wasn't going to make any enemies by doing that. With this, it's potentially it's going to be a a thing that the players are now going to look at and be like, oh, this fucking guy now. Look at oh, look what Silver's like now. But that's that's the, that's the job. You know, you are in control of all of these high ego players who have made it to the pinnacle of a sport that they've played their entire lives and are now millionaires because of it. And you are in control of whether or not they are going to expose people in their lives to a disease that is deadly. And they and they don't care, a lot of them. So the latest game to get postponed just happened a few minutes ago. Woj just, just bombed. 
as we spoke uh, is the Blazers and the Memphis Grizzlies are, is now postponed. And just that just leads even more into my next point, you guys, because the Portland Trailblazers, while they're playing decent, CJ McCollum's out, Nurkic is now out. And it seems like, yet again, uh, the, the resounding chorus of the Portland Trailblazers is if they want to win, it's going to be Damian Lillard who's doing it. I don't know if you guys agree with this, but it's crazy to think that this has been going on for now, I want to say eight years. 2012, he got drafted. Eight years is in the ninth season where he's been in uh, where he's been in Portland just killing himself to make this team good. And it's not like they haven't tried. They're the most scarred, damaged, and tortured fan base and organization in the NBA, and I don't even think it's close. Ever since Bill Walton got them the championship in 78, think about what happened to him. They get Clyde Drexler in 82, right? Next year, or 83 rather. Next year, they they pass on Jordan because they have Clyde Drexler and they go for Sam Bowie. So now we have the Clyde Drexler years where he's great, but he's not getting them to a finals. He then leaves for Houston. They suck for a little bit of time. Comes to jail Blazers. Now they have Rashid and and uh, Ruben Patterson and Amar, uh, Damon Stoudemire, who really, really, really loves weed probably more than Josh Gordon. They have you know <laughs> fucking Jermaine O'Neal early on like all of these guys who are now in trouble all the time and they are good but then they invariably collapse to that Lakers team in game seven on that iconic alley-oop from Kobe to Shaq move forward Brandon Roy probably the one of the saddest stories in the in NBA history how great that kid was couldn't do anything with it because they had Brandon Roy they skip on Kevin Durant they get Greg Oden who again is another tortured story and then they move forward and now Damian Lillard and it's like how can like literally they cannot ever 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 catch a break. They are the most injured team of all time. No, I mean especially you're right. I mean that's too full too. I mean CJ McCollum's gonna be out for an extended period of time. And the fact of the matter is, I think now Portland has to start asking themselves where's the end game. And I think they owe it to Damian Lillard. They owe it to the or for him what he's done for the organization to ask him, hey, like. Do you want to stay here for the long call and potentially go through a rebuild, or do you want to go out and try to win a championship? And if he says, I want to go out and try to win a championship, well, then guess what? Then there's a lot of teams that would be calling for Damian Lillard. I mean, there's almost only like, there's only like four teams, in my opinion, in the NBA who probably shouldn't give a call for Damian Lillard. And. It, it would literally flip the script for any team in the NBA for. For someone to acquire Damian Lillard, and the Blazers can get a King's ransom for him to start out the rebuild with a bunch of assets. I think that this is the best player that's ever been on a team. That really, I mean, besides that one Western Conference Finals, they really haven't had anything to show for it. You know, and he's so fiercely, fiercely loyal to that city. It's great. I mean, it's great to see that mindset still in players today. But that mindset's gone. It's dead. The, the the mentality of loyalty to a city is dead, and it it, it died with probably Kobe Bryant and, and and KG. No, I I didn't mean that in a you know Kobe died way, but I mean like when they went the like the loyalty to us to a fan base went with them. Yeah, loyalty loyalty to the fault basically because at the end of Kobe's career, I mean he was loyal to a point where he was on seventeen win Lakers teams of the. D'Angelo Russell and Nick Young, for Christ's sake. And so who the cares, fact of the matter is that 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 way of thinking is dead because now every player in the NBA, every pundit of the NBA, says you need rings to be recognized. 
you don't have no rings, you're not going to really be recognized. And Damian Lillard needs some rings. If he wants to be with the guy that he always wanted to be as one, as a remembered score in the NBA history, he, he needs that because then he'll just fade away. If he keeps on this Blazers team and they don't do anything throughout his illustrious career, he's just going to fade away from a guy that could really fill it up and score like 25 to 39. Similar to what Gilbert Arenas ended up being, honestly. Not making the comparison, but Gilbert Arenas, to an average NBA fan nowadays, is not heavily remembered or regarded. And he was kind of the same score that Damian Lillard is. I mean, Damian Lillard has obviously had more consistency at a longer stretch, and he's a better player than Gilbert was. But at the at, at the end of the day, though, I mean, they're both going to just fade away into, you know, a guy that you see in the stats book when you look up, oh, yeah, this guy made a ton of threes, and he was a good scorer, but his teams didn't do that much. For, for me, this team just reminds me exactly. They always have, honestly. There's three teams I always compare to each other, probably in the last, like, six years. The other two were a little uh, predate the Trailblazers right now. But for me, it was always the Trailblazers that made the playoffs every year in this era right now with Damian and CJ McCollum as the one-two punch. Then you had two teams in the Eastern Conference built very similarly for a while that always made the playoffs, never went anywhere with it. John Wall and Bradley Beal with the Wizards, and Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan with the Raptors. And I think all three of those teams are reali realized, well, two of them realized, and the Trailblazers are getting to there right now, you can only go so far with that one-two punch being two scoring guards. I think the Wizards realized that recently. I don't think that Russell Westbrook helps at all, but they realized they had to cut ties with John Wall, and they're probably going to do the same with... Beal soon and start over completely you just can't win with that one two combination as being two guards two scoring guards ball dominant and DeMar DeRozan Kyle Lowry they were best friends they would go to the playoffs every single year never went anywhere with it they had to break up their friendship that was like tight as anything just to move on and get Kawhi Leonard and what happened they won a championship the year they moved on it was tough to do because they had two guys that were so loyal to a fault to that city and I think that Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum are going to reach that point soon a lot of people questioned when they got so hot in the bubble last year when Gary Trent was playing out of his mind which where the hell is he now Nurkic had finally returned after the hiatus um, and people were like, all right, with Nurkic, with Gary Trent as a sixth man, Carmelo playing all right, this is a team that could make a run. I think somebody on the TNT basketball crew, it was either Shaq or Barkley, picked them to win the Barkley finals. Barkley did. That's Bar So they, they, yeah. there's problem number one. They're, they're, the Blazers are just effing cursed by Charles Barkley because Charles Barkley is literally the ender curse of the NBA. He's worse than so Paul Pierce. If he, that guy starts giving, <laughs> if that guy starts giving endorsements, yeah, you better watch your goddamn back because something awful is going to happen to your franchise or to you personally. I just think he has a he has a case right now. In the same way that we talked about Bradley Beal a couple weeks ago, we should talk about Dame in the same regard. I know it's a little bit radical to talk about him leaving Portland because it just doesn't really feel like something that he would do. 
he doesn't seem like somebody who would actually go out and say and demand a trade or like say like I need to get out of here. But just the same way that I talked about this with Bradley Beal, I want to say last week or a couple weeks ago, I really don't think that anybody would be like all up in arms, except, you know, unless you live in Portland, if Damian Lillard comes out and says, I want to trade, you know, I don't think anybody would be like, wow, what a scumbag. Wow. Cause it's like, that's been broken. That mindset has been broken. LeBron destroyed it when he sat at the boys and girls club and said he was going to Miami ever since then. Everything has been has just been like, yeah, this is kind of what happens now. Kevin Durant just kind of goes to the Warriors when he just lost to them. There's no loyalty, you know, anymore. And there's and there's no perks of loyalty anymore. The perks of loyalty are gone because now the mindset is exactly what you said, Mike. If you don't go and ring grab, then you're, like you 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 did yourself a disservice. And it it what sucks the most about it is if he goes down this path and he continues down this path and this is kind of what he he's just like I'm going to win it with Portland or I'm not going to win it at all he's going to find himself being a 39 year old with 26,000 you know points scored or like 28 that was some crazy amount of points scored and he's going to end up on like some some like contender as a 39 year old playing 13 minutes a game getting 8 points a game and getting getting a ring that way like Gary Payton did you know, like the like you're not you're exactly. not even a contributor, and, and that's like, how you do it. You know, I mean, and like not to say Damian Lillard be completely forgotten. I don't want people that listen to this podcast think that I think that. But at the at, in the same breath, though, like Damian Lillard won't be remembered as equally as like some other players. I'm trying to think of a good comparison, but Steph. I mean, there's players that Steph. are remember without rings. But like for example, like Steve Nash, like that was Steve the exact Nash. Example now, I was going to think us, about for too. people we talk about. Or is remembered because he was a guy that like was like recently in our times. But say twenty years from now, people are gonna just remember see they're gonna remember some cool highlights from Steve Nash, but not really recognize the player he was or recognize how good of a player he actually was in the NBA. And I think that could happen with Damian Lillard if he doesn't go out and win a championship during his and career. Even, and Mike, even now, Steve Nash, we rely on that back-to-back MVP to really give him sustenance. Besides yeah. that, like there's not really a whole lot there. We know, I know from watching him, you guys know from watching him, just how great he was. But the kids who are being born in the last couple years will not have that understanding, especially because the game has changed so much. And there's so much more asked for from a point guard than just facilitating and just being a, you know, a, a, a pass first guy the other question i have is like based on the comparison that i made with the raptors and the wizards and why it's difficult to succeed with that your two best players being scoring guards why is it that a steph curry and a clay thompson and that warriors dynasty pre kevin durant was successful but a cj mccollum and a lillard can't work the same way because to me the difference is steph curry is unbelievable don't get me wrong but I don't think he's all that much different than a Damian They're Lillard. Exactly That's how good player. I think Lillard is. The difference to me was Clay Thompson versus CJ McCollum. Well, th- one thing is defense. Two things: Draymond Green. Yes, they don't have a Draymond Green. Draymond Green is so pivotal to that team winning. <laughs> no, and then also at at, and also at that point too, that Warriors team was renowned for their depth. I mean, they had one. They were one of the deepest teams in the NBA. Yep. And now, I mean, they don't, like, not now, but I mean, the Blazers, like, 
that, yeah, they've gotten a lot of injuries this year, but before that, they were always a team that was really thin on the bench. I mean, they are always an eight- to nine-man rotation at yep. best. Now they have some depth, but the problem is with the depth they brought that, it just doesn't seem like they're a good fit with one another. Like, they got names. They got guys that in the offseason were like, oh, yeah, like Robert Covington and Derek Jones Jr. and like some and Ronnie, re-signing Ronnie Hood. You're like, oh, yeah, these are all good names. But they don't fit well with each other. And I think the Warriors, and this is where Steve Kerr gets his credit, I think the Warriors were made to fit with one another. And Steve Kerr really connected everyone's best talents as best as he could. And not saying Terry Stotts isn't capable of doing that, but I don't think Terry Stotts is as good as an offensive coach. And I don't think everyone's playing style fits with one another in a harmony as the Warriors had then. So I think that's a big difference right there. And and going back to your point too about Terry Stotts, you know these small market teams really give their coaches such a such a long shot here. You know, think about with with uh, Jerry Sloan in Utah, his his time had really run out after that Malone Stockton time frame. You know, he got a couple other good runs, but one, he never won a championship there, and two. You know what was what was really the purpose of them keeping him, except the fact that they're a small market team and he's Jerry Sloan. I think the same thing's happening in Portland right now with Terry Stotts, where it's like, yes, he's a good coach, but I don't know if he's working with Damian and CJ and getting the best out of them as he can. At the same time, I mean, they had Nate McMillan for how long before that, and he wasn't working out at all. They give him too much of a shot here, and they're giving him a lot of leeway to do what he wants because it's a small market. It's not the biggest city. It's not the most exposure, and he's been successful there in terms of getting you know the win loss up over five hundred significantly, consistently throughout the years. So it's like, what do you do once this stops working, and when is it time to to really say this hasn't worked? Right, this has not worked. We were an eight seed last year. Granted, people were hurt. You know, before that, we went to the conference finals, and that's about as best as it got. But we ran into a Warriors team and just kind of didn't have it. Didn't have the same kind of deal that they had, you know. And at the and also on top of that, getting to that really required Damien to be Damien. You had to have Dame, right? So what do you do for him except either make sure that he gets a ring or make sure that he gets a team in Portland that can actually ring grab and help him get to one, you know, and because it's like him and Steph are not very different at all, at all. I don't, I I really honestly think that Steph Curry gets all of the credit for the jump shot, but I think that Damien's jump shot's just as, just as good, almost at least. And if it wasn't for the lack of defense on his team and not for the lack of Terry Stotts really giving a single fuck about, you know, coaching big man at all, you would have the same kind of the same kind of success happening in Portland, potentially. Yeah, at least them running into each other more in the in the conference finals. I don't think that they would have won a championship, but they might have gotten closer. I just I, I mean no, it's just not I working. just think at this point in time, you really have to look at what's the best way for Damian Lord. I just think that do their cap situation, I think they just have zero cap for the future. And I think they need just to reset in Portland. I think that they need to retool and rebuild. And Damian Lillard trading a guy that's over the age of 30, right? Or was he 29? Dame's 30. He'll be 31 this year. So, yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, he's just turning. He's on the wrong side of 30 just this year. 
And I just think for everyone's all intent and purposes, I would love to see him somewhere where he could thrive. Teams that I think he could thrive at are obviously Philadelphia because what a seamless fit that would be next to Joel Embiid. That would make them an actual contender for the uh, for the NBA Finals. There's a lot of different places where he could fit that can make that could really transform a team. Even Utah. I mean, imagine him in Utah. I don't think he would ever allow himself to go the same division. I, he could also probably fit in Miami somewhere. Uh, there, I mean, there's a lot of chances for him. Any team would be better with him. Any team would be a contender with him. You know, he is the the cornerstone. He is the focal piece. He is the keystone that you put in the in the bridge. You take it out, it falls apart, and that's what's happening in in Portland. You know, he is the most durable player probably that we've seen. In a very in a very long time, at the very least, probably since like Carl Malone. Like he's just he's very healthy, plays through injuries. He's a tough motherfucker, and he's he's out on the court and he's giving it every ounce that he has every single game. And it's like for what returns has has he been doing this? For what return? A conference finals? You know, a first team all NBA. They got swept. They got swept in nonetheless. Like right. they didn't even put up a fight. It's just like you just had you you bent over and just got fucked by the Warriors. Like they are, they were just superior. And it's because you, if you stop Dame, you stop you stop the Blazers. By the very same token, talking about stopping one person and stopping the team on the Eastern Conference, what's happening with the Bucks? Because teams are starting to figure Giannis the fuck out. And I'm watching this game in and game out where he is doing what he does with his getting to the basket, with his length, with his ability to drive as a, at a size. And he's honestly, I don't know if you guys have watched this, his pull-up jumper is a little bit better, actually. He's doing, he's doing well. But I was watching him play against the Nets, and there's two things that I noticed that was really, that was really scary from if you're a Milwaukee fan. Number one is, like I said, they are figuring out how to defend this team, and they are figuring out how to beat this team and by the, and the second thing that's probably even more scary for anybody who is a Bucks fan, uh, the Bucks defense has definitely taken a step back from last year. I was watching them play against the Nets, and they were just letting guys get through. They weren't no, there was no help side defense. Everybody was just letting their guy go, you know, waiting for the help, waiting for for a switch on a screen. They're not switching like all of that stuff. And they're playing against the best team probably in the East and the team that if they make it to the conference finals, they're almost assuredly going to be going up against. And they just kind of didn't, they didn't have it. And of course it's a regular season game, so it doesn't really make a huge difference. But the biggest thing about it is that Kevin Durant, who is playing at an MVP clip right now, and I think that he's probably on most people's lists of the, at least the top three candidates, was in, at least in the first half doing what he does, the cross-key mid-ranger pulling up and he's missing the shots he's not making it and he i saw him make miss like probably five in a row and every single time going down the court so do the bucks or they get a turnover and by the end of the half the nets are still winning and so it's like i i know i've been critical of the bucks before but it's like i would like to be proven wrong about this shit and nothing seems to be proving me wrong because they play this stagnant five out ball and just wait for Giannis to do something well i'm just i, I was gonna bring up because I've been preaching this for so long as to why, quite honestly, as a Sixers fan, me and Mike both, for me, when I look at the NBA playoffs, and I said this many times going into the bubble, that I am always more worried about teams other than the Bucks, who are have been the one seed for the past, what, three years in the Eastern Conference? Going into the playoffs last year, I said I was way more worried about the Heat, I was way more worried about the Celtics, and even the Raptors last 
uh, bubble. They ended up really getting bounced early, but they looked good for a while there. And I always said that the reason why to me is they are so easy to defend if you have a strong big man down low. I always felt that way with Joel Embiid. And if you look at the losses this year for the Bucks, it's been against almost every team that had a strong big man down low that could defend. The Nets are actually kind of one of those exceptions because they played them without Jared Allen. DeAndre Jordan, I believe, was down low. He's He can be a good defender at times, but that was the one exception. But when I look back at their games, they've lost to Bam Adebayo and the Heat. They lost to Steven Adams with the Pelicans. They lost to um, uh, Rudy Gobert and the Jazz. So if you get a good center, they don't even have to be a, that good of a player. But somebody who can go down low, put his hands up, defend Giannis, they just don't have the players around him to really build a championship team, in my opinion. They are one-dimensional. As much as people like to pretend that they're not, they're just about as one-dimensional as any team in the NBA. One, I think the well, the Nets have to get used to playing without Jared Allen because he plays for the Cavs now. Um, <laughs> but it's just in general, I mean, the Nets are well-equipped to stop Giannis because Kevin Durant, who can really match up well with Giannis and Kupo. DeAndre. I just think with Giannis, the fact of the matter is, he's kind of undergoing the same treatment, not making the comparison, but he's going under the same treatment LeBron James did during his years in Cleveland. Like, in the in the like, like late to mid 2000s. The fact of the matter is the team around him, yeah, like Chris Middleton, solid, but he's not a number two option. Drew Holiday, not the same guy you we all thought he was going to be when he got traded for and the amount of draft picks they gave up for him. The fact of the matter is with the Bucks, it's just that they're at a point now where they're at they're gonna go as far as Giannis takes him. So what people are doing, they're like, all right, we'll let Giannis get his twenty five to thirty points a night. We'll let him get his fifteen to twelve boards. We'll let him get seven to eight assists. But what we're going to do is we're going to shut down Chris Middleton. We're going to shut down Drew Holiday. And we're going to make everyone else basically not available and pull a LeBron James and Cleveland Cavs situation and make LeBron James, uh, make the other players around LeBron James beat them. And the same thing with Giannis. Like, make all the other players around Giannis beat them. Like, I wouldn't be surprised to see Chris Middleton go off for like 42 points in a playoff game. This like upcoming year, and the Bucks still find a way to lose the game just because they don't have enough help, and that defense is going to be like, we're going to either focus our attention on Giannis and make other players beat them. We're going to literally take everyone else away and let Giannis drop his forty points a game, but hell, in a losing effort. On Monday night, watching this game, at the end of the game, they have a double team on on Chris Middleton. And Giannis is by himself in the corner, and no one's even paying attention to him, and the ball's not going to him. You know, and it was just like, what, what do you, what do you do with that? What the fuck do you do with that? I mean, no, exactly. And LeBron James, if people don't remember, LeBron James had these same criticisms during the crunch time when he was in his young career. Obviously, he worked his ass off, and he became now a one A, one B type of player of all time, where he's arguably the greatest, if not the second best. And there's no comparison after that. Because he worked hard on his game, and he got better at a lot of aspects he wasn't great at. He got way better at shooting. He got way better at being able to make smart basketball decisions. He got 
way better at a lot of different things. He learned from a lot of painful experiences. And the fact of the matter is, what's the most concerning about Giannis is the fact that the, the Bucks have had a lot of adversity. They've experienced that hardship. But what I've seen from them so far, and maybe they flip the script. Maybe they find a way that they can... Their talent prevails. Maybe Chris Milton goes on a crazy hot trick. Maybe Yasin Kupo says gets his other players involved or he takes a more authoritarian type of role. But what I haven't seen from the Bucks is they haven't learned anything. They haven't learned anything from that Miami Heat series loss. They haven't learned anything from that Raptors loss. They haven't learned anything in general from their shortcomings. And that is probably the most flawed thing about the Bucks is that they're going, they are addicted to sameness and they're, they're even in a worse spot than purgatory. They're getting like the 27th pick every year and that's their ceiling. And that is an awful place and to be. And that point to your point there too, it's like their game is stagnant also and it hasn't changed it's five out nobody moves you know and they swing the ball and Giannis drives and kicks and then you have like Brooke Lopez shooting and uh, honestly not shooting that all that well in in the corner you know and it was better last year than it is this year I just like I like you said they people figured him the fuck out like it's just compared to LeBron it's different because LeBron was never on one seats LeBron was on four and five seats, you know, and he never had True. he never had a number two guy in Cleveland. He had like a Larry Hughes or a fucking Anderson Verjao or Big Z or or Booby or Booby Gibson Gibbs. and Antoine Jameson, right. baby, and like Anton at the end of his at the end of his career where he's really not you know putting up numbers. It's just like he was able to do so much with the team and carry them. Whereas Giannis gets a lot of help, in my opinion, from the players around him. Like he's got solid help. I, I think it goes back Mark to what we were talking about in the off season. I really don't think Budenholzer is the guy and I don't think he's ever been the guy. And I think he's a bad fit and I think he needs to go. The thing that's like pretty evident at this point too, is the addition of drew holiday. I don't think it's been necessarily a failure yet. Like he's averaging 16 a game. But it's it's pretty obvious that it doesn't really, like, if it boosted them, it boosted them by, like, I know we don't talk war in basketball, but, like, if war, the most important statistic in baseball, if you're talking war, it maybe boosted them by a win. Like, it doesn't, he doesn't bring that much value to this team and really make them any better. And I think the perfect game to look at for this team, it's hard to look at one game. But you guys talked about it, I know, in one of your episodes before. But when they lost to the Knicks by 20 and got absolutely routed, and that's another great defensive center, Mitchell Robinson, They Drew Holiday didn't even have 10 points in that game. And it was Giannis and Chris Middleton combined for like 50 points, and that was it. They did nothing offensively, and they let Julius Randle and frickin' Alfred Payton destroy them. And they lost Julius by 20 points. playing a hell of yeah, a season. Say, just, just to say, he, he is yes, playing he is. a hell of we a season. He's a guy that should here. be an all-star. I've heard people, I've heard this take that there's all the hype out there, but what exactly is the difference right now between Julius Randle and Zion Williamson? I've heard that take out there in the Twitter world. I know it's, it's Julius a hot one, like but that. they're just built the same. They look the same. They're just both like big fat <laughs> black guys. <laughs> like that's really that's the difference 
I think I think we should I think we should do an episode soon called is is, is Zion, Zion actually flying to that New York definitely and be an playing as Julius Randle every single night. <laughs> you never see you never see him at the same room twice. That's him, for sure. What I'm saying. Haven't seen it yet. Yeah, we'll see what happens when they play each other. <laughs> what happens? Maybe like Julius is out one half and the Zion's out one half. The thing I wanted to mention because I can't remember which one of you said him, but I, or maybe it was me. I think it was actually me. The MVP that I had selected for the for the season before you know before the season started. Remember, I was talking about how it's all a story, like it's always a storyline, and um. The story for me that was best was the story of Luka Doncic, you know, in Dallas and playing, you know, playing for the Mavericks and this young kid out of who's taking over the international role for for Dirk. And now he's in there and he's averaging 30 a game and doing all this stuff. I've watched a bunch of games now of Luka and I've noticed a couple of things. Number one, um, he is a whiny little bitch, dude. Like, he is annoying as fuck to watch play a game. Like, every single thing, <laughs> he, like, yells at his teammates. He, like, doesn't doesn't seem like he really gets along with Rick Carlisle that well. And I just don't think he's probably... He's probably just not a very good person altogether. And uh, number two, if you want to be an MVP, I think you have to play a little bit, little bit of defense. And where his offense is dazzling, and it's just so... Like, he is, he is really an artist with the with the ball in his hands and it's so incredible to watch that on defense you have to literally hide him every single play you have to hide him every single play and the last game that i watched they lost to the fucking bulls by a lot and so like that makes me kind of question my idea as to the mvp now i'm starting to lean i'm i'm stepping into the lebron camp a little bit but we'll see what happens with that or maybe even kd after this achilles thing but Lucas, man, he's fucking, he's very, his numbers won't show it, but it's been kind of disappointing to watch him. No, 100%. And, like, again, like, you've seen him, like, in late-game situations, the ball in his hands, he hasn't really been executing he was accustomed to last year. Uh, he's suffering from the stat thing. Like, he's putting up, like, triple-doubles. He's putting up these 40-point games. But it's, it's not good for the health of his team. He's kind of going through a Westbrook phase right now, to be honest with you. And that's a really... It's not scary. He's a young player. He'll figure it out. And be, and just getting back Chris Stops, they'll get better as, as Chris Stops gets his legs under him. But just in general, I don't know what to really make of the Mavericks right now. I think they need more help on that roster because I think that they need a bona fide third option, not a guy like Tim Hardaway, who literally went 0 for 12 in that Bulls game last night. That's a really good point. It's just, to me, it's it's not all... I love Luka personally, but I feel you I feel you on the defense. It's just that's where, where the problem is. But to me, he does fall under that umbrella of like uh, we were just saying with Zion. Is he overhyped? It's because of like the appeal, the story, the storyline, like you said, of a season all built around Luka Doncic and what is he. And he's so damn fun to watch. And I, I take it to arguably the best game I've watched so far this season. I don't know if any of you guys caught it was... Luka against Jokic, Nuggets, uh, Mavs, goes into overtime. Jokic is a guy we can get into at some point because he is ridiculous. And with that rainbow shot, he hit an absurd contested fadeaway to send it into overtime. And then Luka single-handedly in overtime just took over the game, scored like seven straight points to start it, and they ended up winning by double-digit points in overtime. And it's like he has he has those moments where you look at him 
very similar to Zion, and you're like, whether he's overhyped or not, whether he doesn't play defense or not, he can single-handedly take over a game and win it, something that even LeBron has got has gotten ridicule for at many times throughout his career, not being able to do that down the stretch and passing up those shots. For a guy who's known to be a facilitator, Luka will go get what's his in the paint at any time he wants, which is crazy to me because you don't really see it that often. But I think you it still doesn't excuse the fact that they need wing players that aren't Josh Richardson, Tim Hardaway, and Dorian Finney-Smith. They need a third leg. Yeah, I don't know what they were thinking, like not trying to get one in, in the offseason. And the problem is now with those guys, like they're not great trade pieces so it's like if you try to trade for somebody else who 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 do you really have to trade you know i I don't i don't know i think there's there's names out there that can definitely be big time for them i know that old depot is really gunning for miami next year probably it sounds it seems like but like they're in the same division they're going to be playing each other a lot if there's a chance to get some pieces and some draft picks from the Mavericks. I think that the Maverick or the, the Rockets will try to see what they can do there and get Oladipo over to Dallas. That'll be a great one, two, three, you know, those three together would be phenomenal. That'd be great to watch, but it's as it stands right now, like Rick Carlisle, the same, the same things going on with Rick Carlisle is going on with Terry Stotts, like small, not really a small market, but a team that is newer you know, and, and has the same, and has this owner for forever. And the owner has a relationship with the coach. And because of that, they're not really willing to switch things up on that, on that front, especially because he got him a championship. But by the same, by the same exact token, like Rick Carlisle plays an older school style of basketball, or at least that's what he was coaching beforehand. He was the first to really get big men shooting because of Dirk, but is, is he the guy to get this team the wins that they need, you know, are you going to be able to compete? Or are you going to go back to the nineties? No, it's a, it's a fair point. I think they're probably had the best outlook overall because of the young talent they have at their disposal with their two cornerstones. They can't let Luka Doncic go down this Russell Westbrook route of where he's going to be putting up triple doubles or like 40 point nights and the team's losing. They have to be able to confine a system where it's fruitful for Doncic to score, but he has to be a more efficient player because he's getting, you know what, another thing that I've watched a lot of Mavericks games that you notice, he gives up a lot of turnovers a game. And I know he has the ball in his hands, turnovers. and that's a lot of volume. I oh, get yeah. that. But still, there's a lot of turnovers he gives up, and his three-point jump shot really isn't that good. Like, let's not sleep about that. His three-point jumper is aggressively average. It looks nice. People think it's you know the it gets a lot of it gets a lot of talk because he's hit buzzer beaters, right? Yeah, it gets a lot of talk because he does that step back and like creates space literally just by getting further away from the basket. But yeah, I mean he's usually in like the mid thirties at most. No, like That's, last yeah. year he shot thirty two percent, and this year he's been I think he's been pretty abysmal. Let me get his numbers up real quick, but he hasn't been good from three at all this year, to my knowledge. I think like and the pro- I, the thing is like Dallas just can't stop it. They just can't stop anybody. Like oh that, yeah, that's, that's our thing too. They just can't stop anybody. Right now he's at twenty eight percent. That's what I'm saying. Percent from three, and he has the highest usage rate of almost anyone in the league, and he's shooting twenty eight percent from three. I mean that On is that threes. is abysmal. And his numbers are down twenty seven a game, but he is he's almost averaging a triple double. I also can't understand 
going back to them not ha- having any role players, I know it. What it's not the third leg that completes a team, but what did they gain whatsoever out of trading Seth Curry for Josh Richardson? <laughs> to me, it was it was a move for defense, obviously, because you had Tim Hardaway who plays not much defense and is a three point shooter, and you bring in Josh Richardson who's a quality defender can still shoot the three decently. But to me, I, I'd rather have Seth Curry out there than Josh Richardson uh, as a Sixers fan who's witnessed both. I just don't get that move even for them. I think that it had a little bit to do with, no, because they, I mean, their draft was not that good either. They got Tyrell Terry and Tyler Bay, like those decent, but not not very good. Yeah, no, they haven't improved at all. I think they were really relying on Luka's proficiency offensively to create scores. But I think what they're learning slowly is that a player like Seth Curry, who's constantly moving without the basketball in his hands, makes somebody like Luca significantly more efficient. Because he's just, he's just, you can find somebody like that. If, if you have the eye like Luca does, where you're just like, you know where, where to put the ball every single time, and you have a guy like that who's shooting the way he shoots, you're in a good place. But they lost that, you know? And, and I think that they, they overestimated the return with Josh Richardson. I think they overestimated. Talking about the Mavericks, let's go into more of a retro topic. Uh, what about the 2004 Olympics with the emergence of international basketball players really kind of not just taking over the NBA, but asserting themselves as some of the best players in the NBA, like a Nikola Jokic, like a Doncic, like a Joel Embiid. Do we see more of what happened in the 2004 Olympics being able to happen within the next couple years in terms of basketball, of having more of a power a power struggle up top with some of these foreign national teams. So just to, just to give a little timeline for anybody who, who doesn't know what we're talking about, right? In 92 with the Dream Team, this was the first year that they allowed professional basketball players to actually play in the Olympics. So we brought all of our best over, won the gold great, you know, by a lot. And all of a sudden, like U.S. basketball is clearly going to win every single year. It's an easy gold. 96, we do the same thing. We had Shaq, you know, we had Gary Payton, all these different guys. Uh, 2000, KG, you know, primetime Vince Carter. Like we had the best team. And then, you know, unfortunately, the, the events of September 11th happened. And after September 11th happens, a lot of these guys are afraid because there have been terrorist attacks at the Olympics before. This isn't the first time that it would have happened. So this was kind of the rumblings going into Athens 2004. And because of this, they don't want to go. A lot of the stars of the day don't want to go. And so we feel this team in 2004. The, the, the main guy was Allen Iverson. AI was back. We had KG there. We had Tim Duncan there. We had names like uh, Stefan Marbury was on this team. That was about the next guy up. And, of course, by looking retrospectively, some of these names look better because we had LeBron, D-Wade, and Carmelo. But mind you, they were all coming off of their rookie seasons, and they weren't really all of that that big. We had Richard Jefferson, Stat coming off of his third season where he was starting to come into his own, but he wasn't really an all-star or perennial all-star as of yet. Uh, Sean Marion was on this team. And so even though you guys – like even though this was still a clear B squad for the for the NBA. We didn't have Kobe. We didn't have T-Mac. We didn't have Shaq. We didn't have Jermaine O'Neal. We didn't have any of these huge name guys who were going to be the difference makers in this Olympics. 
we're still clearly the favorites to win this entire thing. This is why I wanted to talk about this. This morning at the gym, I was what they had this game on for some fucking reason, and it was the United States versus Rico, who for some reason plays as their own country, even though they're a commonwealth of the United States, whatever. And Puerto Rico had a team, had one NBA player on the team and Carlos Arroyo, who is who played for a good amount of time, but obviously this is a team that we should handle. And they can't stop a single person. The US, US team can't stop a single person and they lose by 20. And then we go on to win the bronze. We don't even win the silver. We we win the bronze, which led to, of course, players coming into the into the Olympics, better players starting to play. Like, obviously, they don't want to let this happen again. We never want to see this happen again. The big point that I wanted to make and a rede- with this, and a redeemed and a redeemed team is birth. Right, the redeemed team in two thousand eight, where we have all these guys back. Kobe, really like a prime Kobe. You know, we had uh, LeBron in his own, D Wade in his own, Carmelo now is scoring 29 a game. Like these guys just beat the shit out of everybody. But we're going into this to this next Olympics. Obviously, we weren't able to to have it because of COVID last year, but we're doing it this year in, in Tokyo. And we have again one of the best teams to field, or the best team, of course, to field. But this is something that I think that we should pay attention to because it's something that we saw slightly in 2012, but I think we're gonna see it more this year. We have a lot of talent on these other teams, like genuine, actual, high-level talent. And even though it might be one or two players, there's some threats. Talk about Luka. Slovenia has Luka and Goran Dragic on the same team and Goran's brother. I think it's Zoran. Fucking weird, but they're on the same team. All three Anadokounmpo's are on the same team. I mean, this is Latvia's got Kristaps. Where the fuck is where the fuck is Jokic the ch- from? Lithuania? The Czech's got Jokic. Is it Czech? Yeah. Right. Japan's got Rui. Got you more. I mean, but like obviously there's some that are like gonna be more Don't sleep of on threats Japan. than others. But you know, France, Rudy Gobert, Nicholas Batum, you know, like there's legit oh fucking Germany's got Dennis Schroeder. I mean, that's not really gonna do too much, but And Australia is really, really good. Canada too. is stacked. Canada is Simmons, stacked. Patty Mills. You could get you could get an entire team from Canadians. Wiggins, fucking uh, Jamal Murray is Canadian. You know, the the game has become globalized. And whereas there was certain pockets of talent in those early years, Brazil had good teams. Argentina obviously had always had a good team. Spain was the one that really contended with us. I think they're getting a little older, but they also have this arguably the second best league in the world in uh in you know out there. So that's that's something to pay attention to. Um and like Italy used to be good, France used to be better with Tony and stuff. There is a consistency of talent throughout the rest of the world that I think can really give the United States a genuine run for their money. I don't know what you guys think about that. Do you think there's a genuine chance that the U.S. does not win a gold this year? I think there's, I think there's like a 10% chance. Like I think there's always a chance in that sense, because it depends who the roster is for the U S too. I mean, nothing's really finalized, but if the U S brings their top dogs, they bring their best players in the NBA. I think that they should, they'll have difficulty. I think that there's going to be some teams out there that will give them more of a, a competitive flush than years past. But I don't see how we don't win the gold. If we don't win the gold with the t- players we pos- potentially could roster for the Olympics, I mean that's pretty that's pretty upsetting in my opinion. 
Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see who they bring, and especially in a COVID year, because I think it's a lot of these guys with families and whatnot might not take the risk this year. Like, I don't know if LeBron's come out yet and said whether he'll run another Olympics. Um, Steph Curry, Lillard, uh, James Harden, those are the guys they're kind of looking at. Will Kawhi and Durant. You've got to figure, like, half of these guys go, but even half of them is probably enough to get it done. I just question is if there's any way the U. I mean the U.S. is still on heavy lockdown right now, and you're gonna need. There's rumors that you might have to be vaccinated to leave the country. Probably gonna have to be vaccinated to go um, participate in the Olympics. So you definitely are, might see some players that are opting out to go. And if that's the case, you might have a couple other countries that emerge. Uh, the one though that isn't as much of a powerhouse as they used to be is Spain with the Gasol brothers used to be one of their biggest competitors. And I, I don't know if the Gasols will even be playing anymore. Um, I doubt, I doubt Mark would, would well, go they for also, Olympics. well, I mean, there's also all of these guys in Spain who play in Spain, you know, and they play together. And that's, that's like what happened to us in Athens. Again, go, let's go back to your point where you say like half of the guys, you know, half the guys should get a gold. That's what we said in 04 half the guys should be able to still bring it home. We have Tim Duncan, prime Tim Duncan. We have Kevin Garnett. We have Allen Iverson, right? We have Stat. We have Stefan Marbury. It should be enough. We should have enough. But we said that and we lost. And we lost like pretty bad. And it was pretty embarrassing. And I think like very similar to why people didn't, I mean, not the reasoning, but like this very similar mindset is, do we want to risk going over there for whatever purpose it could cause? And so we lose people. We cut that team in half. Let's say we don't get a James Harden. Let's say we don't get a Kevin Durant. Let's say we're fielding a team where the best player might be like, I don't know, Steph or something. Let's just be hypothetical with it. You know, the best player is like Steph. And then we have guys like lower name guys. DeMar DeRozan goes on the team. You know, we have to field a team with like Brandon Ingram being one of the best players. Like we don't know what the status is going to be. That's the big unknown. But of course, if, the best, if our best players are there, we should win. My biggest thing is it's never, it's not as much of a cakewalk as it used to be with that dream team. With that dream team, it was like, oh, we're going to beat everybody by 60. It's going to be so much fun. These guys are crying watching Michael Jordan play. Like they're asking for his autograph and they're playing against him, you know, in a game. There's the difference. These guys don't, don't look that way at, at the stars anymore. They look at them as competition because they are competition now. And there's a lot of consistencies with these teams and these and these countries where they might not all be in the NBA, but nobody on the Greek team in 04 was in the NBA and they won a silver medal. So that's what kind of it's not a really a concern. I, I, I get it. It's, it's a little too radical to say that we're not going to bring that home. But one, we deplete our team. We have an issue with depletion of the team. And two, the rise to prominence of some of these other countries where they have so much pride for country that there's absolutely no way they don't play. Like Giannis is going to the Olympics for sure. I, I, I guarantee it. That's, I mean, that's the biggest point I wanted to make about that, where it's like, here comes the competition. It's no longer a cakewalk, just like baseball. That's a very good point. I mean, it's a fair point. And with the globalization of basketball, I think it's only going to get harder as years go on, especially with the fact that you see all this like fascination with these international stars. All that does is for all the players, all the people from back home, that only inspires them even more to become a basketball player. 
And I think we're going to see a shakeup in terms of obviously the NBA and players like that will always be the best. But we could see a shakeup where players overseas all of a sudden become a lot better and a lot more talent comes through. And all of a sudden we're really talking about that we're going to have to really compete every single year to win the Olympics. Yeah, I think it's all about how much it means to these U.S. guys. Because just like Nick said... It does to a guy like a Giannis, like a Luka, playing for their country and being really the only superstar player from that given country. They, it means so much more than more to them than LeBron James, Kevin Durant, James Harden, Steph Curry, all sitting at home and going, yo, who's going to take it for the team this time and go? Three of us will stay home, one of us goes. Like something like that, like you we'll said. Watch the kids. We'll watch the kids for you. <laughs> the redeemed the Redeem team did exactly that. They were embarrassed for 2004. They came back in 2008. They said, let's all do this. Let's go get one for the country. So that's what I think it comes down to. And for as much as I said COVID's going to play a role in a lot of these guys staying home, who knows? COVID might also play the opposite role where a bunch of them say, like, this has been a tough time for everyone. Let's go do this and put on a show for the United States. No, 100%. And in the same breath that you're mentioning, like, yeah, it might impact the USP like, players for going over. It also impacts some of these foreign countries who have even more stricter protocols in the United States. And teams that like Slovenia and other teams that aren't really the closest to Tokyo might not have their best rosters as well. So keep that in mind, too. It's a very good point. Yeah. And I just think. I think that this, I feel the same mentality potentially happening this year that we saw in 04. And I just remember, you know, I was at a basketball camp and everybody was talking about like, who's going to go over? Fuck, man. We're going to see like Kobe and T-Mac playing together. Ray Allen's going to be there. That's when like Ray was just on the Sonics, just dropped like 24 game. Like Michael Red was big back then. Like Michael Red's going to be there and all this shit. Jason Kidd, like we're going to fucking kill it. And nobody went. It's the same thing that happened in the world in the FIBA World Cup a couple like in 2019. Like our best player was Donovan Mitchell. We I th- I don't even think we we meddled. No, we didn't. Know. No, we did not. We care. lost like three times or something we, ridiculous. Like, like we that. sucked, you know. And it's it's this this is what like the FIBA World Cups whatever. Like we're always going to be the best country in basketball. It's just there, there's no other country that's ever going to come close in terms of total talent. But total talent doesn't always equ- equivocate to a win. We see that in the tournament all the time. Team play. That's what does it. You know, that's what that Greek team did. That's what a lot of these teams do. That's why the Spanish team is so good, even though they don't have all NBA players. Because they have guys who are some of them in, are NBA talent, but the rest of them play over there, and they all know how to play with each other. And so that's where the concern lies for me, where it's like I was watching these guys play in this in this game that I was that they were showing this morning. And we had stars. That's Alan fucking Iverson. And he's not that old at that point. He's, it's 2004. He's like he's like 29, 30 maybe like in that range where he's kind of still in the peak. Timmy's definitely in the peak and so is KG. And those two should have been dominating, and they couldn't do it because they don't know how to play together. Because we just figure we throw all the stars together, it's just going to be a lot of fun, like like a playground style. But I guess we'll find out, you know. Especially because this season's going to be over, and then they're going to kind of jump right into the Olympics. The Olympics yeah, you know? no, and it's just an interesting. Back just just a, a general topic in the NBA. It's just unbelievable that like this season's going to be probably the most 
interesting just due to the fact that like COVID's a widespread disease in the NBA. Then you got probably the most parody in the NBA we've seen quite some time. Like, yeah, you can make the case that the Lakers and Nets are probably the two teams that are going to see each other in the finals and one of them's going to win. But there's a lot of teams out there that can vie for that spot. And there's a lot of players and stars who are getting murmured or on the trading block that that could shift the balance for these conferences. And then after all this is over, it's like, oh shit, now the Olympics are happening. Something that hasn't happened that's overdue due to the pandemic. So it's a very fun year in the NBA. It's a very fun time in the NBA for all everything that's going on. So that's one positive with everything. I just hope they can really figure out one, how to deal with COVID more effectively. And two, what, uh, how are they going to communicate and work to make the best product possible? Not in just the NBA, but in the Olympics as well. The, uh, the last season also ended, you know, relatively recently too. So it's like some of these guys can be playing almost year round by the end of it. If you think about it, because like, you know, LeBron was finished playing in what October started playing again in December, play a whole season that finishes, I think again in June and then playing in, uh, in August for the Olympics. So who knows? It should be fun. I mean, I'm just excited to watch Olympic basketball. That's always fun to see those guys get together and stuff. But, you know, as the season goes along, there's a lot of other storylines that I think are starting to progress. They're in their inkling phase, but I want them, I want to see them kind of get a little bit more traction before we, we really dive into them. A couple of those are like, is Scott Brooks really going to last this whole season in Washington? I doubt no it. No shot. Um, you know, Jokic could potentially average a triple double this year, which would be cool. I think he's going to come down to earth, but maybe. And uh, by the way, remember when I was talking about Jamal Murray being tradable? I know he's not on the trading and trade rumors right now, but he did have five points last night at two for 10. So just saying. <laughs> I'm going to keep talking shit until he gets traded. For you just hate Jamal Murray until he gets traded somewhere. I don't hate him, man. I just think that he's not untouchable anymore. I talk, I was so good to Jamal Murray during the, during the bubble. I was so good to him. And now he's come back and it's like very similar to, to what we would see with, uh, I mean, there's just guys out there who you just expect them to take the next step and they just don't. And it's just like, oh, okay, okay, I guess we're back to where we were. It's like, I thought we had, well, I thought we had gone past that Jamal, but now I guess we're back to like 18 and, and four. So, you know. No, a hundred percent. I could see. I mean, I could see that. It's just, it's just interesting. Like the bubble has really shifted perceptions of players to a point now where you don't really know what to make of them. Like some of these players that busted out in the bubble aren't doing the same same things. I mean, we talked about Gary Trent to some extent. We talked about Jamal Murray. I mean, look at Tyler Hero who hasn't had the same type of like like quality as he did in the bubble. Actually, just, numbers just, wise, he's doing about the same, just shooting a little bit worse from three. What's up? He's actually like doing okay, like 17 a game. He's getting more minutes, but he's shooting his three pointers are down. No, exactly. But in the bubble, you saw him like he got less minutes and still put up relatively the same numbers he is now. So now, since he's getting like 35 to 40 minutes a night because everyone has COVID, you expect him to act like give it, give you like 24 to 28 a game, and he's just not doing that. And I mean, that might be a lot of expectations for a guy that's like really just kind of getting into his own in the second year, but at the same time, I think that Hero, I, at this point, was kind of expected to make that jump, and he just hasn't yet. Yeah, I mean, I think the other guy who was actually absolutely balling out in the bubble, and I don't, I don't think his scoring numbers are the same this year, but 
to me it's more of a product of how much better the team is is Devin Booker. Devin Booker has been able to take like not a back seat, but he doesn't have as much pressure on him anymore. And to me, that's one of the most underrated teams in the league right now. I think the Suns are a legitimate threat right now in the West. I don't think they're as underrated. I'm in the same kind of camp. I don't think they're as underrated in general. I just think that they're not going to be a legitimate threat only because of the fact like I just don't I don't see their those players that they have holding up in a seven game playoff series. I could see them like playing good for a game or two, but in a seven game series, I just don't know. And I don't know what Chris Paul really has got left in the tank as well. He's looked pretty solid so far, but he's obviously taking a step back from his OKC. And I wonder as the year goes as the year like goes on, will he continuously take a step back or is he saving himself for the playoffs? Yeah, I just for me with them, I think uh, you're definitely right. It's too early this year. And the problem with it being too early for them to really like make a serious run at anything, maybe they could win a playoff series, but you have two guys on the roster and Chris Paul and uh, Jay Crowder, who both are veterans that might not be here when the team finally does take that next step. But I think they're also going to teach them how to win. Those are two guys who have unbelievable playoff oh, experience that can bring along the Mikhail Bridges, the um, Cameron Johnson, another guy I think is so damn underrated, um, the DeAndre Aytons, the Devin Bookers of the world. I just think they're deep, man. They got – it's definitely too early, but they have a really bright future if they can replace down the road a Chris Paul with another, like, legitimate star in the league to pair with the rest of that Damian team. Damian Lillard. <laughs> <laughs> seriously honestly <laughs> like no but uh, but in all seriousness no i can see where you're coming from the one thing that they're doing right in phoenix is that they have the best mindset they know that defense is basically kind of dead in the nba so what they're going out and is they're just getting a bunch of guys that could shoot the three-point ball and a bunch of size and a bunch of just guys that you can really plug all over the roster and that's always great to have on a team like that. They're probably one of the more flexible teams in the NBA in terms of that they can give you so many different looks, one through four. And, I mean, yeah, like their center depth's a little off. I mean, other than Aiton, I mean, who do they have as their backups? I mean, I don't know if their backups are that great. Let me check that out. But in general, other than that slipping my mind, I think they have, like you said, a good future ahead of them for sure. So can't complain about that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean their bench is. Uh, I like I said, I love Cameron Johnson. They have Cameron Artis Payne, who eh, 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 he doesn't really do anything for me. Sarich is there, and I think Javon Carter, uh, the West Virginia oh, guy. I, I, lo- but, yeah. I love me some Javon Carter. Dude looks like he's thirty-two, but he's like twenty-five. You love to see it. <laughs> yeah, serious. Jared Bayless look alike. Yeah, exactly. No, exactly. Um, you know, oh, wait. No, they had Damian Jones as their backup. He's been out because of COVID. So they really have, like, Frank Kaminsky and Jalen Smith. And, like, they're, like, like Jalen Smith is a lottery pick. He still has a lot to prove. But, I mean, the West is interesting. I mean, Phoenix is really 7-5. and five, And, I mean, they've lost two games in a row because they've been really kind of COVID screwed. But... They're, they're a very interesting team. I think a lot of the teams right now in the West, they're just like going through a little bit of a lull. But the scary part is when they all start peaking, it's going to be a really like struggle in that conference for getting the playoffs, in my opinion. When those teams start peaking, because they will, like the Denver Nuggets and Mavericks will figure it out. I think like the Pelicans will figure it out. Like those three teams, when they figure it out, 
they're going to be a very interesting team to look at for sure. So what's your final thoughts, Mark? All right, my final thoughts to close it out um, on everything you said, I just have two final takes. One, we talked a lot about the Suns just now as a young and upcoming team. Um, one that needs to continue to, def- like you said, you don't have to rely- build your entire team on defense. No one plays it, but that's probably going to be their next step is being able to defend some of the greats in the playoffs. Another team that to me is very similarly built and has a really bright future is the Eastern Conference version of the Suns, the Atlanta Hawks. I think the Hawks are a team that needs to really continue to develop. One of my favorite young players in the league right now is DeAndre Hunter. I think that guy needs to put his name on the map. That's one of my final thoughts is that DeAndre Hunter, get ready for him to be an all-star in the next couple years. And I'll close out by saying that Joel Embiid is one of the top MVP candidates right now. I would put him in the top three if I had to pick. No, 100%. So my final thoughts on everything we've talked about was I think the Hawks are what I don't know if I just expected, but what I expected is that they're just struggling at playing defense and they're a young team that's going to go through their growing pains. I think that Trey Young is going through his first like kind of problem in the NBA because he's starting to get kind of figured out and he's starting to get like a physical, like physicality starting to match up, but I think he'll be okay. But in the end, but also another final thought that I have is going back to Joel Embiid. He's really asserted himself as an MVP candidate. And if the Sixers keep up their winning ways and if they can figure it out and who knows, maybe if they go out and get a Beal, Levine, or even potentially Dame, then they and beat all of a sudden becomes one of the more favorites for the MB, for the MVP this year. I like what I'm seeing out of the NBA. We're gonna have a fun season. We're gonna have another fun episode next week at this time. Um, love to all the fans. Give it a nice five star rating. Subscribe to the pod. Really appreciate support. Love you guys. Stay beautiful. Have a good time.